Welcome to the Abide in Me podcast, where we're countering the malaise of modern culture and superficial spirituality by taking aim at the truth. We'll be looking for answers to the big life questions. What was our origin? Where can we find meaning and purpose? How do we discern between good and evil, fact and fiction? And what is our ultimate destination? You can find more content on our YouTube channel, AIM Radio, or follow us on Instagram. All links and resources are provided in the podcast notes. Enjoy this week's episode. I'm going to talk about the gospel today. And the reason I want to talk about it is really to get back to basics. I've noticed that there are a lot of uh, words or phrases or ideas within Christianity that have kind of lost all meaning because they've been used for such a long time. And so sometimes we have to go back to these words and these terms to really unpack what they mean. I asked a friend of mine recently who wasn't a Christian, but who obviously knows about Jesus and the Christian message, what they thought the gospel was. What does the gospel mean to them? What does that word mean? And they kind of struggled to answer. And in the end, they just said something about it being the Bible. The gospel is the Bible. And so that's not to have any kind of criticism against people who don't know what it is, because I think most people would struggle to give a definition that is meaningful. You might hear people say, have you heard the good news about Christ, that he died for your sins, or that he paid the price for your sins, or that he was raised from the dead? And of course, if you just come at people with that kind of statement, they're probably going to dismiss you. I personally find it really difficult to speak to people face to face about Christ, unless there's an interest there. And it's because of this history that we have of the kind of sales pitch Christianity. I find it much easier to sit in my office and record a podcast or do a video. And even though I'm speaking to people, they're not with me in the room. And so it's definitely a gift to be an evangelist, to be someone that goes out in public like Paul did and speak to people about Jesus. We've spoken before about him going to Athens and speaking to the men in the Areopagus and being very blunt about what his message was about Jesus being resurrected. And that really takes some courage. But even in that situation, the people there were willing to hear him. In fact, they wanted to hear what he had to say. And the problem today is so many people are apathetic. They don't care. They're not interested. And so this good news, this gospel, this announcement that the apostles were making, and of course, the announcement that Jesus was making, is kind of falling on deaf ears mainly because people think they know what the Christian message is and they're not interested. And so that's why I wanted to unpack it, because it is indeed good news. And I think part of the apathy comes 
today because people think they can make up their spiritual beliefs, because we live in this subjective reality. The good news and the revelation that the apostles were telling people about was the fact that Jesus had been resurrected from the dead. And because he did this, if we follow him, we will also be resurrected from the dead. Now, from a modern perspective, that sounds like a kind of bad zombie movie, doesn't it? But we're not talking about resuscitation. We're not talking about the walking dead. We're talking about a new creation, that we will be recreated in the image of Christ. We will become the human beings that God originally intended, and that it's not just us who are going to be renewed and recreated. It's going to be the whole universe. And that is a strange message to hear now, but it was a strange message to hear back then. It was offensive to people that people would be raised from the dead. The platonic idea, which was very popular at the time, is this idea that has kind of crept into Christianity, which is that our real selves, which a lot of people call their souls or their spirit, will break off at death and move into the spiritual world. Because the spiritual world, the ethereal world, is the real world. And this physical material world that we live in, it's seen as a place that we need to escape from. And that's what happens when we die. But that's not the Christian message. The Christian message is very physical. And it's about the renewal of our physical bodies and the renewal of earth. But today, people can and do believe whatever they want to believe. A lot of people believe in reincarnation. A lot of people believe that they will just float off into the ethers to become part of the universe again, their particles dispersing, their consciousness dispersing. Maybe they believe they're going to go and live in other realms. Or maybe they just believe that when they die, they're going to be dead. And so this message of eternal life, this message of being resurrected into a new body to live on a new earth, is just one of many things that people feel that they can choose to believe in. And so it's nothing special. The urgency that the apostles felt to get this message out there isn't really felt by people today. And so when we're talking about the gospel, we kind of have to get really basic and go back right to the beginning. And that means we have to deal with our belief systems and why we have them. If we have a belief system that says we can choose what's going to happen to us when we die, in other words, we have a very subjective belief system, then the gospel, the good news of Jesus, isn't really going to make any sense to you. You're not going to care about it. But if you're someone who believes that there is a truth to life and there are ways in which we can find that truth, and if we understand that some of these spiritual teachings and systems that are out there are false, then we will have more motivation to actually find out what the truth is. In other words, we're going to take time to understand what Jesus and his apostles were saying. And so let's just suppose for a moment that there is a creator. And let's just suppose that that creator has created this whole universe with a very specific 
design and purpose. And let's suppose that reincarnation is not real. Let's also suppose that atheism isn't true. So let's suppose that there is an afterlife, let's say. But because we have a creator, that creator has designed how we get to that afterlife and what that afterlife is like. And there is only one way to get there. And so all of our ideas about maybe heaven or different realities and different dimensions and reincarnation and karma and how we get there, what it is to live a good life, are just based on our own imaginings, our own fantasies. In other words, our creator has created this universe to follow a certain path. He created us to follow a certain path. I don't usually like to use technological analogies, but let's suppose that our creator created a video game. There are certain rules within that video game, certain ways in which we need to behave in order to get to the next level. And if we don't, we don't get there. And so we can argue about these things and say that we don't agree with it or we don't believe it. But just because we don't agree with it and don't believe it, it doesn't mean that it's not true. And so once this universe has been created, once we've been created, the story continues with us having free will, free choice to decide what we want to do. We're not robots, we're not AI, we're not automatons that have just been programmed to do good or bad. We have free will. Just as if you were playing a video game. You have a certain degree of free will within certain parameters. If you didn't have a degree of free will when you were playing that video game, the game would be pretty boring. And so this element of choice gives us a certain amount of freedom and it makes life more interesting. But there's a danger with giving sentient beings free choice. The danger is that they might choose to do evil. They might choose to do things that harm themselves and harm other people and harm the planet. And here we are, living in that reality where we choose to do evil. We choose to do things that we ought not to do. And these things cause utter destruction, chaos, mayhem, pain and suffering in the world. And in the biblical story, once Adam and Eve choose to go their own way and follow the serpent and are kicked out of the garden... Things just descend from there. Their son Cain kills their other son Abel and that violence and chaos continues until there is so much suffering on the planet that God decides to wipe everything out. He regrets making humans but decides he's going to save one family, that's Noah and his family, and then he brings the flood and starts all over again. But again, things don't go well. And so after a time, he chooses another person, Abram, whose name is later changed to Abraham, to become the father of nations and to become a nation of priests who are going to live life in the way that God has designed us to live it, and then to go out and teach that to the rest of the world. But because we have free will and we're human, more death, mayhem and destruction ensue until we get to Moses, 
And Moses is given the law, the Ten Commandments, and all the other commandments that are going to set up a society that isn't destructive, that is based on family, that is based on doing good to your neighbour, where people aren't stealing, they're not coveting, they're not committing adultery, they're honouring their father and mother, they are not choosing to do whatever they want to do, whether that's worshipping other gods or taking things that don't belong to them just because they want them. And if only we could follow all the rules, then the world would be a better place. But unfortunately, we've proved that we can't follow the rules, whether they are the Ten Commandments or just the laws of whatever country that we live in. It's not possible for us, in our own strength, to be good people 100% of the time because we have free choice and we like to take the easy route. And actually our society encourages us to take the easy route. And so if you look at the Ten Commandments now, are there any that you don't agree with? And so look at the Ten Commandments and then write down the opposite of those commandments and you will see that that is the society that we live in. The majority of the things that we are told not to do, we do on a regular basis. It's kind of no big deal. And we wonder why the world is in such a mess. But we can't follow the rules. We've had thousands of years of human history to prove that point. We need to be coerced or forced in many cases. People would like to believe that everyone is intrinsically good. That's one of those beliefs that people hold on to. Oh, there might be a few evil people in the world, but most people are are good on the inside. They're intrinsically good. I think what people mean by that is they're not murderers and thieves and they're not Hitler or some horrific mass murderer. I think that's what people mean when they say that most people are good. But if you look at the template that's been laid out in the Ten Commandments, you'll see that you've probably gone against the majority of them. What about bearing false witness? Don't bear false witness against your neighbour. Don't lie. Don't gossip, don't tell stories, don't slander. How many people do that on an almost daily basis? That's the whole of social media, is it not? If you go and watch programmes, I do this all the time, when you look at children, there's a great programme called Super Nanny, which was on maybe, I don't know, 10, 20 years ago. And this nanny, this woman, goes into problem households where the parents have asked her to come because they can't discipline their children. And we're talking about small children, you know, toddlers, up to the age of about seven. And all of these children are completely out of control. Why? Not because these parents are particularly bad parents. They're just not paying attention. They're not paying attention. They're not following through with discipline. They don't want their children to not like them. And so what you see is very clearly, if you just do nothing with small human beings, you don't give them any correction, you don't teach them, you don't give them any discipline or guidelines, they will run wild, absolutely out of control. They don't know unless you teach them about not being selfish. They don't know how to communicate their needs, so they'll just start screaming and hitting and biting. They don't know how to intrinsically honour their father and mother, respect their parents, unless their parents teach them how to do that. 
So naturally, as human beings from birth, we are rebellious. We're selfish. We want to get our own needs met and we will do whatever it takes, whether we need to punch our brother and sister in the face, whether we need to throw a tantrum and scream and bite and kick. We don't want to listen. We have to be given guidelines. Otherwise, these children go out and become entitled and narcissistic and potentially sociopathic just because their parents haven't been paying attention and putting guardrails in. So this notion that we are intrinsically good people is demonstrably false. And I'm not really sure if people understand how much evil there is in the world. And that's because we generally want to shy away from those kinds of news stories. We don't want to know. But sometimes we have to stare evil in the face. Sometimes we have to listen to the people who commit these horrendous crimes, whether it's crimes against children or just crimes in general, mass murderers, human traffickers, people who kill their children, people who abuse their wives and husbands. You have to listen to these people being interviewed. You have to look into their eyes and understand they're not rare and it didn't take much to make them that way. People by nature are power hungry, greedy, selfish. These horrific incidents that have happened in our history, whether it's the Holocaust or whether it is tens of millions of people being killed in these communist nations, or all of the horrific wars, all of the slavery in different empires, have all happened not because of a specific ideology or religion. They've happened because of people. People from all walks of life, all countries, all cultures, all religions. It's us. We cause the suffering. We cause the pain, the abuse, the war, the mayhem. And then we have the gall to say, oh, we think that human beings are intrinsically good. And it's true that most people are not Hitler. But many, 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 many millions of people went along with what he was doing. And that comes, again, from apathy, but it also comes from selfishness. People not wanting to stand up when other people are being abused. This attitude of, oh, I'm all right, so I'm not going to make any waves. I'm towing the line. It doesn't matter if all these other people are being abused. I'm going to keep my mouth shut. It's selfishness. We saw this same kind of attitude very recently during the pandemic. And so let's be honest with ourselves. Let's not continue to live in this fantasy that we are intrinsically good people. We're not, especially when we're left to our own devices. But following the rules, having discipline, exerting your own will, doesn't work. We know this because we start every single year trying to do this with our New Year's resolutions. I'm going to go to the gym more. I'm going to eat less junk food. I'm going to be kinder to people. I'm going to save more money. Desperately looking for advice from people online. How am I going to live a better life? How am I going to be a better person? We do it every single January because every single year we fail. We find it incredibly difficult to follow the rules and do the things that we know we should do. 
And so the law didn't work. Doing things off our own back through our own strength and discipline doesn't work most of the time. So how do we get this world back on track? Is it going to be through AI? Is it going to be through voting in another political party? Is it going to be having a one world government? Is it going to be through the enlightenment principles of reason and rationality? And the answer, or God's answer, is no. It's not going to be any of those things. The solution is to turn back to the creator of the whole system who designed us and the universe to work in very specific ways. But you're only going to do that if you take the time to understand the truth of that. And it does take time. We live in a society that tells us to either make up whatever spiritual beliefs we want or that God doesn't exist. Those are the two options. Being a Christian is not cool. It's frowned upon or it's made fun of. But what if it's the truth? What if what Jesus was saying is true, that he is the only way back to our original design? What he did by dying on the cross and being resurrected by God is the only path that is going to lead to eternal life. That is the only way we're going to get back to our original design. What if that's true? And so this is the good news that the apostles were spreading. That in order to save his creation, God became man, came into his own creation in order to create a pathway back to him. And before Jesus came, there were lots of intermediaries. There was Moses who was dealing with the Israelites because the Israelites didn't want to hear God. No, you go up the mountain, Moses. No, we don't want to hear what God has to say. You stand in the gap. And then following Moses, the other prophets, Jeremiah, Isaiah, Ezekiel, all speaking for God. And people didn't want to know. And so if you want something done right, you've got to do it yourself. And here comes Jesus showing people that this is how you're supposed to live. Showing people what it is to serve others and not yourself. Showing people a little snippet of the new creation that God is going to provide. Healing people. Taking care of the poor, the widows, the orphans. Challenging the corrupt leadership of the time teaching people how to forgive, teaching people how to love their neighbour and love their enemies, teaching people about this upside-down kingdom of heaven that seems so strange to us because we live in the opposite of that, where selfishness and greed and malice and vengeance and gossiping and lying rule. They rule us. And he came to teach us a different way, the way it should have been from the beginning. And so this world does need to change. We do need to exit it, but we don't exit it into an ephemeral spirit world. The final chapters in the Bible talk about God creating a new heavens and a new earth. 
heaven and earth being merged, God living with us. And Jesus is the first sign of that, God coming to live with us, Emmanuel. And then paying the ultimate price, making the ultimate sacrifice, allowing all of the evil, all of the wrongdoing, all of the suffering come down on his head so that he died, that he was crucified as a ransom for many, but then was recreated, resurrected, brought back to eternal life. And he's asking us to follow him because he is the way, the truth and the life. He is the king. He is Lord over all. That's the good news. He is the bridge between heaven and earth. He is the new temple. And he's asking us to be the same. He's asking us to house God's Holy Spirit, to be mini temples walking around and spreading God's spirit, God's life, God's love, God's forgiveness, wherever we go, through our actions, through the way that we treat people, through telling the truth in the face of lies, through confronting corruption, through prayer, through worship, through praise, through turning back to God, acknowledging this creator we have, acknowledging the beauty and perfection of the universe, acknowledging that we've gone astray. We haven't done a very good job of stewarding the earth or even dealing with our own families. That we've dropped the ball, we've stopped paying attention to what matters and we've allowed ourselves to be influenced by powers and principalities and forces that have from the beginning been trying to turn us away from God, from the beginning have been lying to us and telling us either there is no God or that we are gods. We are gods. We just need to focus on ourselves more. We need to be more selfish. We need to put ourselves first. Everything that is entirely opposite to Jesus's message. Isn't that interesting? Everything that is entirely opposite to Jesus' message in his Sermon on the Mount and throughout his ministry and the Ten Commandments is what we are encouraged to do in our society. Whose world do we live in? Who is the ruler of this world currently? Well, Jesus and the biblical authors understood that it was Satan. The dark powers, the evil powers and principalities are in charge of this current world order that people are living in, are choosing to live within day in, day out. And that's why things feel wrong. They feel off. That's why people say all the time, why is the world like this? Because they can imagine a better world. It's within us. Eden is within us. And so looking around at the world, yeah, it is pretty weird, isn't it? Why is there all this suffering? Why is there all this poverty? Why is there all this war? Why can we just not get along? Isn't it strange? Isn't everyone seeking some kind of utopia? And it's because we have allowed these dark powers and principalities to take hold, to take root within us. 
We have become apathetic about evil and suffering. We might virtue signal online, but when it comes down to it, it's just words. It's just words. And Jesus is asking us to act differently, to pay attention, to understand the truth. Even if it's difficult, even if we don't want to believe that intrinsically we are not good people, he's asking us to take a look in the mirror. Why are you lusting after people? Don't you know how much suffering lusting after people causes? Why are you coveting what other people have? Don't you know how much pain and suffering that causes? Why aren't you being kind to your neighbour? Why are you gossiping? Why are you lying? Why are you being disrespectful to your parents or your children? Why is your family in chaos? Why is it dysfunctional? Why don't you care about that? That's what he's asking. Why don't you care about that? And why aren't you doing something about it? And so those voices in your mind, those thoughts that tell you everything's going to be okay, you just need to find some peace and serenity and everything will be fine. That isn't a good voice. Any voice that is telling you everything is fine and whispering sweet nothings is not a good voice. It's not leading you in the right direction. It's leading you further and further into yourself, into your illusions and your delusions. And what Jesus is asking you to do is to come out of yourself, to be of service to other people, to care more about other people than you do yourself. That is Jesus's message. It's not a message that a lot of people want to hear, nor is it one that they want to live out, because we are told and encouraged to be selfish. That is not the kingdom of heaven. Jesus came to serve. That's why he washed his disciples' feet. That's why when two of his disciples, James and John, asked to sit at his right hand in power, and he said to them, the first will be last and the last will be first. Don't you know that the Gentile rulers lord it over them? It's not going to be that way with you. You are to be a servant. You are to be humble. You are to put other people before yourself. That is Jesus's message. That is how the kingdom of heaven comes about on earth. It's a choice. You have to do a 180 turn to turn back to God and repent, to do something different, to allow him to transform your thoughts, your mind, your heart. That is a 180 turn because you have to accept that you don't have all the answers, that you're not intrinsically good, that your judgment is off. And no one wants to accept those things. No one wants to be humble. No one wants to believe that they are wrong. Their belief system is wrong. And the way that they cover it up is just by saying, well, that's not my truth. I don't believe it. So therefore it's not true. I'm going to make up a bunch of fantasies for myself to make myself feel better. That's how I'm going to live my life. But you're not really living you're not really living if you're living through a bunch of delusions and illusions. You're not alive. You're dead, spiritually, psychologically. 
you're in a prison, you're in a trap that you can't get out of because you think you have all the answers and you don't. You just don't. We need an injection of God's spirit into this system in order to change things. He needs to pour out his spirit for things to change. We need a transformation of our hearts and our minds if things are to change. That is what it means to turn back to God, to open yourself up to that. Because if we don't, we are dead in our sins, the walking dead. And so the good news, the gospel, is the announcement that Jesus is king, that he sacrificed his life for you, that all of your striving is going to come to nothing unless you understand the reality of this universe and your situation. And that if you would believe in what he tells you, you will be set free. And that he will begin to transform you with his spirit to become the person you were always supposed to be. And yes, it's going to be hard. And yes, people aren't going to understand, but they will start to see the fruit. They will start to see you change. They will start to see you living a new way of life. And hopefully they will want to follow. I think part of the reason that speaking to people about Christ is so difficult is because they don't see the fruit in people's lives. But that's what people notice. If suddenly you are transformed, they want to know how. And that's when you can open up the conversation. I turned back to God. I prayed. I asked God to change me. I stopped living my life my way and asked for God's assistance and guidance. People want to see the fruits. When the Apostle Paul went out to teach people, he taught them, but he also performed signs and wonders. That's what convinced people. That's also what convinced people that Jesus was the real deal. Sure, he could give a good sermon, but he was healing people. He was bringing them back from the dead. He was casting out demons. He was performing miracles. That's what convinced people. They knew him by his fruits. And so I'm not saying that we all need to start trying to perform miracles and, and feeding the 5,000. But it's our actions that people see. It's the way that we live that's going to show people that we're followers of Jesus. It's not having the best theology or the right atonement theory. It's about how we live. Are we humble? Are we giving of ourselves freely? Are we truthful? Can people rely on us? Do we have discipline and self-control? Do we have respect for people that perhaps we don't understand? Do we do things for people who we don't particularly like? Are we willing to stand up against injustice? Are we willing to sacrifice ourselves for others? These are the signs that God is working within us. And these things are totally opposite to our fallen human nature. It's the easiest thing in the world to lie, to be selfish, to be greedy, to be vengeful, to be delusional. It's very, very difficult to do the opposite unless you have a significant amount of help from God. And so let's go through the good news. 
The good news is we have a creator. This wasn't a giant accident. And that means that there's a plan. You don't create something. Certainly something that works as well as our universe and our human bodies without there being a plan. And so if there's a plan, there's also a purpose. And that plan and purpose come from a creator who loves us. It's an important teaching that God is love. It's something that people want to hold on to. But God also cares about justice and God cares about the truth. So we have a loving creator who we can trust because he has a plan and he's truthful and he cares about justice. He cares about what we do to each other and he cares about how we treat this planet and the rest of the universe. The best analogy for this creator is father. Because if you have a good father, he's not a father that is entirely permissive, who lets you do whatever you want to do. He's a father who puts in guardrails, who gives out discipline, who gives advice, who you can rely on, who is supportive. As he is our creator and he has a plan and a purpose, it means that he has expectations of us. But as we have free will, we can choose what we do with our lives. Which path we follow? Do we follow God's path and rules? Or at least try to be the person that he created us to be? Or do we just do what we want to do? It's a choice. And because we have free will and we're not automatons, it means that we can think about whatever we want. We can imagine, we can make up stories and fantasies. We can justify our own behaviour. And so we have to accept that because we are so prone to creating fantasies and delusions and using our imagination, that sometimes what we think is not true. Sometimes our beliefs are wrong, even if they are very dearly and deeply held beliefs. Sometimes we're just wrong. Our judgment tends to be skewed because we are so focused on justifying our own behaviour, because we hate to be wrong. In fact, many people would rather die than be proved wrong. All of the wars that go on in the world, when people talk about them being because of religion, it's not because of religion, it's because of belief systems. Our belief system is right, your belief system is wrong, we're going to fight to the death for this belief system, because we don't want to be wrong. So you must understand how powerful our belief systems are, but also how wrong they can be. One of the things we get wrong is this belief that many people hold today, which is that if only we could indulge all of our desires, all of our wishes, all of our wants, if we could just live the life that we want to, then we would be happy. But often that isn't the case. And part of the reason for that is our judgment's off. What we think is going to bring us happiness, in fact, is not going to bring us happiness. And often, indulgence leads to death. It leads to addictions. It leads to the breakdown of relationships. Being completely selfish and just going off and doing whatever you want 
will often lead to your destruction. And so this pursuit of happiness that today involves just pleasure-seeking very often leads people into incredibly dysfunctional and unhappy situations which they don't know how to get out of. Because along with this idea that we just need to follow our hearts and do what makes us happy comes this other idea which is you have all the answers within you. But we don't. We really don't. And that's why people seek help often from psychiatrists and psychologists and therapists of all shapes and sizes, life coaches, people online, celebrities. It's because we don't have all the answers within us. We need more information to be fed into our system. But instead of asking each other, why don't we ask our creator? And usually it's because we don't like the answer. Because unlike the ruler of this world, God is not going to tell us to just do what we want and to pursue pleasure and happiness. And so one of the main reasons I think that people don't turn back to God is this, they don't want to hear what he has to say. They don't want to be corrected. They don't want to have a course correction. They don't want to turn around completely and walk in the other direction because then they would have to admit that they were wrong. And so we're seeking comfort and happiness and pleasure. And this often leads to stagnation. And strangely enough, when we have those times of suffering and pain, when we're feeling despair, when we've lost everything, those are the times in which we grow as people. We mature. Suffering produces growth and stamina, endurance, wisdom. And yet we do everything in our power not to suffer. And it seems counterintuitive. Why? Because we live in this fallen world. How can suffering produce growth? How can suffering ultimately be a good thing? I don't want to feel this pain, this despair, this depression. I don't want to lose my friends, my family, my job. I want to be comfortable. I want to be happy. But that leads to stagnation. And the inversion of that is, yeah, you're going to go through some suffering. Jesus asks us to pick up our cross, whatever it may be, to bear the suffering because it produces stamina and endurance. And if we have faith in God, it will increase our faith because we know he exists. We know he has a plan and a purpose, not just for our lives, but for the whole creation. We can rely on him. And so just because we suffer, it doesn't mean that God doesn't exist. Far from it. It's the striving, it's the struggling, it's the suffering, it's the working hard, making an effort that forges us into mature people. That's what being a grown-up is. And when you see a lot of young people today, not meaning to single out young people, and there's plenty of people of all ages that suffer from this, but I particularly see it in young people who are absolutely overwhelmed by life because they haven't been taught that life is hard. They expect things to be easy. They expect to not face any adversity or to have to have any kind of confrontation or for anyone to exert some discipline over them. They're shocked, in fact, when they get out into the real world because they want everything to be comforting and safe and easy 
And that's not life. And being coddled, as many of these kids are, by their parents and then throughout school and university, is not preparing them for the harsh realities of life. And so they become incredibly angry and resentful, incredibly overly emotional, unable to think critically, unable to hear any advice, no respect for the older generations. And that's why there's so much depression and anxiety and mental illness within those younger generations. They don't have an anchor. And they have a worldview that is based on pure fantasy. And the reason they're so confused is that they've been taught that there is no truth. Everything is subjective. And so we have all this gender confusion, this sexual confusion, this permissiveness in all areas of life. And they have no rock, no foundation, no true belief system to stand on because everything is shifting all the time. It's like being in quicksand. What are we supposed to believe now? What's the politically correct thing to do or say? Who am I? And who we are are children of God. We are God's creation. He is our foundation. He is our rock on which to stand, on which to cleave to when things get rough. And so truth exists. Objective truth exists and we have intelligence and a mind to seek it out. It's not a great mystery. As I've said before, either God exists or he doesn't. God is either the God of the Bible and the God who Jesus talks about, or he isn't. And there are ways in which we can find this out. It's not subjective. And so even though we have these problems, as humans, we're easily deceived, we seek comfort and pleasure, we like to live in our own delusional reality if it makes us feel good. It's very easy for us to justify our bad behaviour. We have been given a solution, and that solution is to look to Christ. Here is this person, who is the person that we are all supposed to be, and we can follow him, we can learn about him, we can read his teachings. We can listen to his apostles who died spreading this good news that Jesus is king. He is the cosmic king over all of creation and that we are saved from ourselves and saved from death by having faith in him and what he did, having faith that he sacrificed himself for us, even if at first we don't understand how that would even work having faith that he was raised, resurrected from the dead, even if we don't understand how that works, and understanding that we can ask for his help to be transformed into the person that he is. But we have to lose our life to find it. We have to put down our faulty and wrong beliefs. We have to stop trying to justify our own behaviour and seeking the easy life. We have to turn, acknowledge our wrongdoing, and he will be faithful to forgive us. But if we don't even feel that we need forgiveness, we're never going to ask. And if we don't believe that we need forgiveness, then I'm sorry to say that we are delusional. We've all strayed from the path. We've all done things wrong. And that simple acknowledgement is going to open the door 
to a new life, to you being transformed. But so many people don't want to walk through that door. They think they can transform themselves. And perhaps they don't want to be part of God's kingdom. Perhaps they like the kind of life they're living now. A life of indulgence. A life of ease. A life of pleasure-seeking. But I wonder when those people get to the end of their life and they recognise they're going to die and they look around at all of their possessions, if they will really feel that they've lived a good life. Because you can't take a lot of those things with you. Certainly money and wealth and houses and possessions won't be going along for the ride. And maybe at that point, when people are near death, they will then look back at their life with regret and recognise that they've done some things that hurt themselves, their families, their co-workers, other people along the way, and they'll feel sad and sorrowful for that. But they'll have nowhere to put that sadness and sorrow. They'll have no one to ask for forgiveness, because all those people will also be dead. What will they do then? I hope at that point they do turn to God. There's nothing like confronting your own mortality to get you thinking about the secrets of the universe, where we came from and where we're going. But I hope people go through that reflection process before they're at death's door. I hope they accept Jesus's free gift before that time so that they can be reconciled to God and live out the rest of their life in harmony with his ways rather than being a rebel. And so I hope that makes sense. I'm sure I'll be going into more detail about the gospel, about the atonement and how all of it works. But I just wanted to start off with a general overview so we can understand our place in this cosmic plan of God's to save us and his creation to save us from the consequences of our wrongdoing, to break that power that evil and sin and death have over our lives, to bring healing and justice, order back to his creation. And we do that by being in communion with him. We do that by following his template that he laid out for us. And we do that by spreading this story of Jesus, telling people who he is and what he's done in our own lives, by sharing that good news. As always, I'll put any Bible references in the podcast notes. Please also visit our YouTube channel. The link will be in the podcast notes as well. And I'll speak to you again very soon.